Welcome to episode 12 of Unraveling Pink, a podcast exploring gender-based assumptions or pink bandana moments at work. I'm Annie Rogaski. In this episode, I sit down with Chris Lee, who is the Director of Business Development at Newstar. Chris is a millennial or zennial, depending on how you define that, and has some interesting perspectives that are different than what we've presented before on this podcast. So I think you'll really enjoy it. A special thank you to Joanna Bloor again, who is one of our prior guests and who introduced me to Chris. Also, I wanted to let you know that we are now available on Google Play and TuneIn, as well as iTunes and SoundCloud. So if those are preferred platforms for you, check us out there and subscribe to Unraveling Pink. And as always, if you like what you hear, please review us or rate us on whatever platform you listen to us on. And now here's Chris. Welcome, Chris. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. It's great to talk with you. I was introduced to you through a mutual friend who thought I would be interested in talking to you because you made a statement that she thought was very interesting, which was, you're not a feminist, you're an egalitarian. Can you tell us a little bit about what you mean by that? First of all, I don't really understand what feminism means because there's a lot of noise out there. But when it comes to my opinions, I don't think anyone should be limited because of their gender and everyone should be encouraged for all opportunities. The article that I had shared that brought us together was about the the absence, I think, of, of females in, for example, tech roles or engineering roles. And my question was, are girls being encouraged and do they have the same opportunity? Are we filling the funnel essentially mm-hmm. with the same number of, of females as we do males? I have a lot of engineering friends or friends that are engineers and and the running joke was that there was always two or three girls in their engineering classes and this is early 2000s so maybe it's a little different now but I don't think it's 50-50 today. No, I think it's not. Even in the classroom. So if we're going to look at the end result um, and I'm, you could tell I'm in advertising and marketing, but if we're looking at the bottom of the funnel, what comes out, you have to look at what we filled it with, mm-hmm. right? So if we're 90% male in the universities today and 90% male in in engineering jobs and roles here in, in the Bay Area, then you could say that we're not filling the funnel appropriately. We're not encouraging females to pursue those roles. So that's just something I want to see, um, mm-hmm. especially with... Uh, having a two-year-old daughter myself, uh, thinking into the future. Yes. Well, I think the idea of a funnel is a good one because if you think about the the top of the funnel, where does that begin? And there's a fair amount of commentary around the the start of the narrowing of that funnel happening around middle school, for example, with mm-hmm. girls getting less interested in, in STEM topics. And I do think you see those numbers go down as you proceed through high school and get into college and then maybe postgraduate degrees and the workplace as well. And there's probably more factors going into that than we can cover today. But um, I do think that the time to think about it is when you have a two-year-old daughter and (laughs) what what does the funnel look like for her? Where does she come into that? And, And hopefully she stays all the way to the end if that's what she's interested in. Right. So the concept of egalitarian to me brings up an issue that may may come up for other women as well, which is, is it truly egalitarian? So when, when women, let's say women engineers come into the workplace and they're the only woman or they're one of 5% or 10% of the engineers on the team, do they come in with an equal playing field? Do they have the same resources and support as the men do? I don't know if you have a thought on that. 
Well, if you look back in any time in history, right? So anytime there's a, a class that's trying to earn their rights or become equal, whether it's gender, whether it's the color of your skin, whether it's your sexuality, I feel there's always that transition phase, right? I think, for example, we might just be in a phase where let's take STEM and, and engineering roles just as a specific example. Maybe in the future, maybe in 30, 40 years, we'll see more of a 50-50, maybe close to 50-50 once we once we encourage girls to go through STEM education all throughout junior high, high school, college, and we see that result, maybe we're in that transition phase now. Personally, no, I don't believe that that women have the same exact resources and, and, and there's a level playing field today. My question and my hope is that we're in a transition phase and we're moving more toward that. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean it's not a challenge for the women my age or, or younger or, or, you know, people that are working today. And so to see something change, is there is there anything in particular that you can think of that we should be doing differently to make that equal playing field happen more more quickly? I think we can lessen the blow of the transitional phase if it is that. I happen to work at a company that celebrates women in technology. We have separate events that that organize um, not only just women but people but men that support women in technology. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of great. I think male figures in our company that attend those sessions that are, it's important to have executive leadership there. Yeah. Our company CEO is actually a woman, someone who just left, uh, was the first salesperson on my division and, and grew an entire sales organization whom I respect and was able to, um, report into recently. And, and, um, our common connection, she was one of my first managers in this, in this industry and, she exhibited a, a strong female character. And mm -hmm. I think for me personally, I never really had a problem with the idea of females in, in tech or management roles because that's just kind of how I started out. <laughs> so I know not everyone has that experience, but I'm more the person asking the question, like, what can I do to help level that playing field? Because I think it takes, takes a desire to do so first. And I, there's a lot that I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm somewhere, I guess, mid-career stage. If I'm fortunate to grow a team or, or manage people in the future, these are all things that I personally can, can take and create a world that helps this, this effort. But I'm more filled with questions and answers at this point. Well, but that's good. And I think, I think a lot of men want to help level the playing field for women but don't quite know how to go about it. And it seems like you found some ways to join the conversation and to learn. And I think wanting to help is the first step and asking questions is, is a good second step. Are there things that you have done that you might suggest to other listeners to try to help with that effort? I don't think there's anything that I've done that's just not out of common courtesy or common sense. To be honest, I just don't know. I haven't been in a position to manage. I've managed someone once in that and she was actually female. And I never really saw her as I need to specifically treat her a certain way because she's a female. I just treated her with respect and we got the job done and we had fun in the process. And so personally, I I can't give out much advice, yeah. I don't think. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned that your CEO is female and you've worked for some female leaders. What impact do you think that's had either on you or on the workplace and, and how egalitarian it is for women and men in those companies? So to be clear, I've had 
good managers, great managers, and you know, other of, other managers, other managers, <laughs> right? And and some of them are male, some of them are female. Yeah. But of the good ones um, that were female, it's still not completely level. Like I'm on the BD sales side, mm-hmm. right? So there's a very open secret that it's very much a boys' club. Sometimes I see the struggle in the women that ascend and, and run these sales teams and and run teams and organizations. I don't know if they feel a pressure to try to be like one of the boys mm-hmm. to get there. Yeah. And if they're naturally like that, it's fine. Yeah. But I do realize or think sometimes are they putting is this part of their their professional facade? Everyone puts on a face for work, right? right? We're all different behind closed doors, whether it's at home or at work. Is this just another part of it for female leaders? And that's something I think about that I obviously don't have to deal with. I don't know how I would personally, even if I was in a management role, how do I even address that? These are, again, questions that I have, right? Because I don't want to treat them differently to make them feel uncomfortable like they are. Like I'm aware that they're trying to put on this. I'm part of the one of the bros type mm-hmm. of you know mm-hmm. attitude. But at the same time, it's it's tricky, I think, for guys that mean well. Yeah. Um, and going back to what we can do, I think again, intent and desire to to understand is step one. We're in a country where I think I just read that Stephen Miller is going to start putting together policies for for women, uh, or women focused policies for the for the country and he believes that there is no gender gap in terms of pay. Like these are numbers. Right. Right. So these are just literally numbers. They're no opinions. And I come from a background of my dad and my brother, are both uh, statisticians. So grew up with numbers meaning a certain thing. And there's a truth behind numbers. And how can you just deny right. that there's a gap? Well, it's really interesting that you raise the bro culture and, and ask that question because I was actually at a women's event last night where that was the topic. And what was interesting to me was that we talked about, well, how do we change the bro culture, which is is pretty prevalent in Silicon Valley. And we talked about that of having to 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 fit into situations where you might be the only female. And we also talked about changing the culture requires having men and women both talking about these issues. So I think it's really interesting that you raised a question that we were just talking about last night, Mm -hmm. but we were in a room full of women. And one of the things we noted was we need the male perspective on this. Mm -hmm. And so I think your approach of having questions is great because I suspect the questions that you and other men have about these issues are probably mirroring the questions or frustrations that women have. And having more of a dialogue between the genders would be helpful and having it in a constructive way. But I don't know that there are easy answers. We didn't come up with any real answers last night. And it sounds like Mm -hmm. You may not have any great suggestions on how to change the bro culture either, which is a big problem to solve. But do you see a way for men and women to have these kinds of conversations together in a way that would be constructive? I think so. And I just want to say I I do know a lot of great men in this industry too. And I think a lot of us mean well. Mm-hmm. So a lot of us are curious. I think the one thing that concerns men when it comes to topics such as this is feel like they need to tiptoe around these topics right. because they don't want to say something out of turn. Yeah. They don't want to 
offend anybody. I grew up in my schooling years with the videos of when when sexual harassment was a big problem. Uh-huh. And now we look at those videos, those training videos, and, and they're laughable. Yeah. Right? Like, I can't say you're actually, you know, you're wearing a nice purple sweater today. Right. Because some, somebody, even if you meant it the same way to a hundred women, maybe some of them will say, well, that's sexual. So, I'm, I'm, I grew up in that kind of, uh, kind of, <laughs> I was introduced to the workforce growing up, like this workforce that I'll enter one day in, in that kind of period. Mm-hmm. So in in the same vein, I think there's a lot that these, again, mostly good men, they want to help. They just also need to kind of watch their own back a little bit because yeah. they're feeding families, they're building careers, they're doing good work, and they don't want to – they'd rather not offend somebody than go out of their way to to help somebody, I think, because there's so much on the line. If we can get together and say, okay – all gloves off. Let's just talk very openly. I mean, this mm-hmm. is actually very, this is a good example. Uh, you and I talking here, but then I think some things will come out saying hypothetically, hey, I want to help you earn as much as your male counterpart. Let's ride out, almost provide a flawless case to any executive that would question why you're giving somebody a raise that's female or, or bringing someone in. Or even there's that experiment where you just take the name off of a resume and then yeah. you hire based on that. Right. Why not make that an actual practice? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then that solves gender, ethnicity, so, so on and so forth. So I think there's things we could do. I just think in today's day and age, especially in the Bay Area, there's a lot of competition. Everyone's very aggressive and ambitious. It costs an arm and a leg to live here. There's mm-hmm. when it comes down to it, you're going to be fighting for yourself and your own family. And I think that's since that's always number one, we got to make sure that's not going to be touched if we want to be open and honest about these, you know, everyday issues. That's right. just my take. Yeah, finding a way to make it safe for people to have a conversation. Because I think a lot of men mean well, and they're oh curious. yeah, absolutely yeah. yeah. I think you're right, and and we tend to get the extremes on this issue, so we get. You know things like the the recent Google memo, which which a lot of people took took issue with, but that also is starting a conversation. I mean, everybody's mm-hmm. talking about it, and by talking about it, you are making it easier for people to express their views and hopefully have an open dialogue. Have you seen any impact between generations on how the different generations perceive women in the workplace? In the workplace specifically. I tend to work with a lot of people my age. And would you be considered a millennial? I heard there's a new term called zenial, which I'm much more comfortable with. <laughs> I heard that too. What Do you know what what uh, range that covers? I don't know, but I think I'm right smack in the middle. I'm 81. so Okay. Right. I have seen it, but not in the way that I think is limiting. So let me explain. I work with a lot of progressive thinking people in our industry, and I haven't encountered... For example, older males that believe females should only have certain jobs like that I'm not exposed to, which mm-hmm. is which is great. The millennials and the younger generations actually come in with I, I hate to use the word entitlement because it's not entitlement, but the sense that they were they were raised and, and brought up to think to believe that everyone's equal, which is a great thing. Mm-hmm. When it comes to seniority, that might pose like a little bit of a culture shock because. You come in day one, you're not going to be sitting at the table with 
the board of directors and, and pitching your ideas. Right? right. No limits. I just don't <laughs> agree with it. And yeah. I wasn't brought up that way. Um, so I see a little bit of a difference. When it comes to gender, I think it's a good thing that they are coming in believing that everyone should be equal, that women should have the same opportunities, be paid the same. And it honestly, it's little changes like that generationally as, as new classes graduate and enter the workforce. It just extends the the amount of people in the workforce that, that genuinely believe that. Mm-hmm. So that's what I meant a little bit in terms of a transition phase. Yeah. Yeah. So I would love to see that come to fruition and, and really in practice. And I'm and it takes men and, and women, just executive management and leadership to truly believe in it and, and hire and pay based on those practices. Mm-hmm. Another thing about millennials is that they want they come in thinking that they need to love their job and have this extreme passion for everything they do. I believe that too, even though I'm a Gen yeah, Xer. No, but I'm saying there's <laughs> yeah, a little, just, I'm still yeah. part of the, I think the tail end of the generation that still believes a little bit of pay your dues a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're not going to have your dream job at like 22 coming out. And that, that was my point. Mm-hmm. But it's good. I think people are coming in and, and not just the women, just, you know, the, the young guys that are coming in and into the workforce. They also have this, they don't have to think about it twice. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think it it has pros and cons from the perspective of someone who's who's older and and female. Like it's refreshing that there there's almost this what's the issue question yeah. of why is there a, a a difference? Why why are we talking about this issue? Which is great because you can see a future of okay, that's not going to be an issue anymore. We will have that egalitarian workplace yeah. where everyone just comes in and does their work and and they succeed based on merit. On the other hand, it's I think particularly for the Gen Xers, we're we're kind of squeezed between these two generations: mm-hmm. those that don't see a problem and those that arguably created the problem yeah. or contributed to the problem. And one of the things that I wonder about is whether the younger generation will, by not seeing a problem, mm-hmm. not recognize when there are problems that are kind of remaining from the the older generations. I see. And so I've talked with some women about, do we have an obligation to kind of educate the younger generations about why these issues are important, mm-hmm. maybe so that we don't repeat history? Um, or does that sort of poison the pool of innocence, if you will? Like if they don't see a problem, why tell them that a problem does exist? So I'm using my perspective as being a, a child of immigrants, for example. I think there's a need to recognize and appreciate the history. Mm-hmm. So you're able to, again, I, so I'm able to further appreciate everything that I do have. Because a lot of times, especially with a lot, social media and the internet being so part of our, heavily part of our, our, our daily lives, you compare yourself against these, these images that always make you feel like you're not good enough. And that goes on every level, I think. But just knowing what my parents did, for example, to get here and, and what my dad had, he... This is his story. This might be the uh, I walk five miles both you know uphill both ways, but <laughs> right. I, I believe it. He came here with his brother with a suitcase of clothes and two hundred dollars. He read books in the the in his city college or, or or at UC. You know, basically he read his textbooks at the bookstore instead of buying them. So he mm-hmm. just stayed in the bookstore for hours on end. And I have this now. We have the internet now. I have iPads and and whatnot. All this information at my fingertips, and I'd rather 
just zone out and watch a video of, of something, you know. So I think it going back to my point, I think you do need to recognize history so you can appreciate what we have. But the reality is I have my own issues as a second generation Asian American. Mm-hmm. I think the 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 millennials coming up that are female that didn't have to go through a lot of the blatant discrimination, they won't have to go through that, but they'll have these other issues like like you mentioned. Yeah, I like that analogy. That's it's an interesting way of putting it of kind of knowing your history. Um because I know for my particular generation, I came in after the generation ahead of me got women into the workplace. Mm-hmm. And we just kind of assumed that the fight was over. Yeah. And there was a different fight, which was staying in the workplace and moving up the ladder and all of that. And I think that my generation kind of fell down on the women's issue front because we thought the work was done. And mm-hmm. now we just got to enjoy the the fruits of the labor of the generation ahead of us. Yeah. And to your point, I think we didn't probably appreciate that history well enough or the ramifications of that effort to to continue to make progress. So what occurred to me as you were sharing your story is that it is important to make sure that the younger generation coming up understands how hard these fights were and what it took and what the implications were. And to think about, is there another fight that needs to happen that oh, yeah. we're not even envisioning yet. Mm-hmm. But yeah, hopefully this will all be history in 20 years and we'll all be equal and happy. Yeah. Is there anything else that you wanted to cover before we go into um, a challenge for the listeners? Yeah, I think when we first talked, something that I started thinking about is feminism, you know, is mostly about men and women, but can feminism be attributed to culture, like corporate culture, specifically Mm. in the workplace. What do you mean by that? So in my head, very generally, I'm thinking alpha male, um, I don't even know the word for the opposite of of male dominated. So I mean, a lot of it is cutthroat. I'm thinking cutthroat, alpha male, aggression. So that's what I think of in terms of, you know, typically what's male. Again, very, very general, not that this is what I believe, but, you know, those are the things that most people may think of. And then feminism, as I would think of more nurturing, collaborative. And my point is, if you think about it, not in terms of a person, but in terms of corporate culture, Mm -hmm. that's what's interesting to me. Because if you look at the most male-dominated money-making industries like sports, collaboration and, and, and cooperation and working as a group, those could be feminist qualities right mm-hmm. and uh and those are that's basketball that's football that's hockey mm-hmm. there, so that doesn't make sense to me that if we see the success in uh something that's very physical and, and combative and that we all pay money to watch and we love and so about competition translate that into the workforce right how you treat people how you hire mm-hmm. how you pay because a lot of times I think everything's so cutthroat, everyone's backstabbing, everything's so conniving. And when when you were talking about feminism, to me, it just it kind of ties into the bro culture. I don't think the way to solve bro culture is to say, oh, you were able to deal with the bro culture, so you are doing a good job. Or, mm-hmm. You know, I don't think that's the way to deal with it. Maybe take a step back and look at the collaborative overall, like organizational mm-hmm. culture. That's just something that I think um, 
I started thinking about once once we were connected. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of um, a couple of people that I've talked with in the past who talk about male and female leadership styles, and that generally people aren't entirely masculine in their leadership style or entirely feminine in their leadership style. Go. Masculine, right? that was the word. <laughs> yeah. So there's, um, there's like, you talked about collaboration. Um, that tends to be maybe a more female uh, or feminine leadership style. It was interesting about what you said is when you're talking about the bro culture, I was thinking, well, if you could isolate the traits along the masculine and feminine spectrum that are ideal for making a company successful, mm-hmm. it's probably not going to be the alpha male mm-hmm. style. It's probably not going to be the bro culture style. And if we could identify what those particular traits are and then train our leaders to maximize those traits, which mm-hmm. probably some of them are inherent or mm-hmm. or had been groomed along the way and others would have to be learned, but you could almost socially engineer a workplace that is ideal or is, does not have any of the bro culture negativity. Yeah. What I don't like about whether it's that bro culture or just anything in general, someone feeling like they, like they have to be someone that they're not just for the sake of, and this isn't just social acceptance. This is your livelihood. Right. Right. So that's where I think it becomes a serious topic. And to be clear, some of the biggest bros I know are actually female and they're not doing it because they need to. That's just who they are and I I, I love them for it. I just am not a fan of someone needing to feel like they need to be somebody else. Yeah. Is feminism or feminist qualities in corporate culture, is that a thing? Yeah. Right. I love that. That's a great question. So why don't we end on that? But before we completely wrap up... Do you have a challenge for our listeners of something that they can do in their daily lives that would help even the playing field? So since I don't have the answers in terms of the workplace, I'll just tap into something that's not very groundbreaking, but important with my daughter. She's two. And it's just my goal to expose her to everything, just completely taking out the gender bias behind activity, colors, even toys. I think it's something that's fairly widely accepted, especially in this area. But it takes a lot, I think, to do it day to day. Yeah. And I'm I'm lucky right now because she's just learning to talk and still learning a lot of things in terms of how to exist. <laughs> but later on, when she starts to read and be interested in certain topics, sports maybe, I just don't want to limit her in terms of, hey, anytime I have a, a thought of, well, this is maybe too dangerous because you're a girl, maybe mm-hmm. this is too, I don't know, won't be of interest to you. It's just completely completely purge those thoughts and and just kind of being more of a, a data type of person kind of let the data speak for itself expose her to everything and see what hits and encourage those activities yeah that's a great suggestion i think it's hard, it's hard because it forces you to think about your own biases that you might have i just saw something on twitter from a friend yesterday it was a notice for parents of what to bring for their kids to go to camp Mm-hmm. And for the girls, it was like a flower and a jar or something like that. And for the boys, it was like video games. And I mean, I read the lists and, and it's so gendered. And mm-hmm. so you, you have those filters everywhere and those expectations that if you're not, as you are, deliberately thinking about that and really trying to observe when something is gendered, whether it's colors or whatever, 
it's so easy to creep into our daily lives. That's so. that's true. I'm learning little by little. Even at this stage, I don't have full control over what she's exposed to. So mm-hmm. choosing where you'd send them to camp or knowing where they go to school and recognizing that those biases might be there right. rather than in the home. I think are, that's a good point. Well, thank you. That's a great challenge. And you raised some really important issues today. So I really appreciate you having a conversation with me. Thanks, thanks for so, being here. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening. If you have a pink bandana moment that you're willing to share or a guest in mind that you'd like to hear in a future episode, send us a note at unravelingpink.com contact and let me know. Together, we can unravel the pink bandana. <laughs>